0: If you would go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll bounce around a little bit this morning. There's an age-old debate about whether sinners that are saved are always saved. I've heard it all my life growing up in Southern Baptist Church. I've been asked the question many times... Do you believe in one saved? Always saved. I love what Brother Mahan said years ago. Well, it all depends on who saved you. You see, if the Lord God in heaven saved you, then you're always saved. Many call this the doctrine of eternal security. It's the position that when a person makes a profession of faith in Christ, they can never lose their salvation. Yet there are still many who believe that they can lose their salvation. So let me say in the beginning, there's a great difference between professing, declaring, claiming to be saved, and actually being saved. You know, anyone can profess to to be some. I can profess to be Elvis, but I'm not. Many believe it's possible to... Um, Lose one's salvation while while others believe it's not. But both believe the Bible supports their claims. So I agree with Brother Mahan. I believe it comes down to this. If your salvation depends on you in any way, then it can be lost. But if your salvation depends, depends wholly and completely on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you cannot. Be lost. That's right. And that settles the issue to me, but with many it does not. Why? Because many actually believe that their salvation has to do with a work they perform, a will that they exercise, and a worth that they themselves have. But we don't have those things. Right. What does the scripture say? The Bible teaches that salvations of the Lord. It doesn't teach that salvation is a cooperative effort between you and the Lord. Some believe that salvation is accomplished by a decision that they themselves make or a will, as I said, that they exercise themselves. And they proudly sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. They say, I decided to give Jesus my heart. I decided to make Jesus Lord. I think that's the worst of all of them. They say, I decided to let go and let God have His way. Well, if you can let go and let God have His way, then we need to be worshiping you because you're God, but you can't. Well, preacher, what about the verses that say He came into this world until He came into this, to His own and His own received Him not, but as many received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. What well, John didn't stop there. He goes on to say, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. If I'm born of God, I'm being saved. I'm saved and I'll always be saved. Now, if you tell the unlightened that God says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, and you do know that's in your Bible, right? They'll say, is there unrighteousness with God? In other words, is it right for God to do that? Whatever God does is right. And I've said it many times, God doesn't do something because it's right. It's right because God does it. Everything God does is right. That's God being God. God has a right to do what He wills with His own, and everything and everybody belongs to Him as their Creator. God being God, gives uh, that gives Him the right to do what He will with His own. And when John said His own received Him not, he doesn't mean... Those of his own that are saved. He means those who are his that he owns by way of creation. They didn't receive him. He came into the world, and men and women in and of the world didn't receive him not. But it didn't change God. He's still God. But some believed him. And it was God that made the difference. First Corinthians 4 7. For he, God, said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. That's God. So then, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So men and women's view and opinion of eternal security depends on whether or not mankind let God save them. Is that that what you're saying? The view of one saved, always saved, has everything to do with or not with God. God decided. Let, let me say it this way. Let me simplify it. God decided from the foundation of the world, before the world was ever created. That's in your Bible too. To save sinners before they could ever make a decision, before they could ever exercise their will, before they could ever do any good or evil. The Bible, God's Word, the Holy Scriptures is very clear on the matter of who salvation belongs to. It's amazing how vain men and women can take God's Word and justify uh, believing what they do. I sometimes wonder if we're reading a different Bible. I know we've got a different God. (laughs) Salvation is either of the Lord or it's of man. Now that's not hard to understand. It's either one or the other. It can't be both. God either chose and saved a people without their cooperation, or man chose God and saved himself. What does the book teach? The Lord Jesus Himself made that issue very clear in John 15, 16. He said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you you, and ordained you. I did the choosing. I did the ordaining. That you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, the Lord did the saving and the Lord does the keeping. Any fruit that we bear, God enabled us to bear it. Speaking of Jacob, whom God loved, and Esau, whom God hated, Paul wrote for the children, these twin boys, Being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, according to God's choosing, might stand not of works, not of works, but of Him, God, that calleth. And it was said unto her by God, the elder Esau shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Salvation is not of works, but of God who calls. The redemption of a sinner is brought about by a decision, okay? But it's not your decision, it's God's decision. And it's right, His right, to make it. You know, fallen men and women are vain creatures. We always seek glory for ourselves. And it's because of that that men and women's idea of salvation is all wrong. Because of that, John wrote, we love Him because He first loved us. Why do we love Him? Because He first loved us. John also wrote in verse 10 of that same chapter, herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Doesn't that say it all? Yes, sir. If we're saved by the love of God, it was not our love for God that saved us, but, but His love for us. Yeah. And then John tells us why the Lord loved us. It was because He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the appeasement, the atonement for our sins. And how can salvation be of man when the Lord said, Search the the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify Me. And you will not come to Me. Now there's, there's God's opinion of your will. You will not. God makes you willing in the day of His fire. You will not come. And you will not come to Me that you might have life. And then he said, I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Why? Because it was his to give. He knows who he gave it to. And this is why we conclude that God loved a sinner before that sinner ever loved him. And we would not come to him that we might have life. He doesn't receive any honor from us. By nature, none of us had the love of God in us. God initiated it. Now, I pray this morning in the few minutes that I have, I, I, the Lord might shine some light on the subject of eternal security for you who yet doubt. First, have you ever noticed uh, that when someone asks uh, about your spiritual state, it's always in the past tense? They say, Have you been saved? Have you been born again? It's always asked in the past tense. Have you been saved? That's the modern terminology. But men will look at you funny if you say I'm being saved and hope in the end to be saved. Wow. Well, that's a lack of faith, isn't it? No. That's the truth. (laughs) Seems today everyone knows when they were saved. Just ask them. They'll say, I was saved on December the 17th, 1991. Why that day? Because that was the day that I made a decision. That's the day I joined the church, or that was the day I was baptized. And when they do that, they're making their decision, their baptism, their membership into the church to be the means that saved them. But if you say, I was saved from the foundation of the world... If you say, I'm being saved right now. And if you say, I'm being saved until the end, people think you're crazy. Or they'll know you're a believer. Because they believe that salvation is is a one and done matter. Uh, And that's why folks believe they can backslide and lose their salvation when the fact of the matter is they were never truly saved. And that's why they believe that there's no such thing as being eternally secure. Why do they believe that? Because salvation depends on them and what they did. Because salvation depends on a work that they themselves accomplished. But it doesn't. Salvation is accomplished by the one time finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for the sinner. Larry read in Hebrews a moment ago when the men meet about that very thing. And if Christ did the work of righteousness that God requires from me, then what I do has nothing to do with my salvation because to add to it is to actually take take away. Um, His work's finished and it's always accepted by God. And that's why I'm eternally secure. <laughs> now I know some folks use that as a license to sin, but Paul said, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" God forbid! It won't cause a true believer to sin. And this this is where a sinner can find peace and rest and comfort and some assurance. Mm-hmm. Because salvation is not dependent on what they do. It's totally dependent upon what Christ has done. And God stamped His stamp of approval on it. God accepted that work. And we're forever saved. Forever saved. Now, the first, uh, so with that long introduction, my, my text, as I said, is in First Peter chapter 1, or begins here. Look at verse 23. The first clue to what I've said about the present tense of salvation, being saved, is that word being. <laughs> Not being, being. Here in First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter writes, being born again. Not I have been born again. How are we being saved? How are we be born how, how are we being born again? Well first it's not of corruptible seed, he says, but of incorruptible seed. So immediately ask what is this incorruptible seed? Well it's not that corruptible seed that you cast into the earth and it's first got to corrupt and rot and de- decay and then it's quickened and then it rises and brings forth fruit. That's corruptible seed. That, that's why we can't save ourselves. There's no life in us until God gives us life. Amen. Our seed has been corrupted by sin. We're polluted. We're depraved. We cannot be uh, be born of blood. Our blood is polluted and corrupted. We can't be uh, born again by our will. Our will is in bondage to sin. We will not come to Christ that we might have life because we're slaves to sin and will not come. And even if we would, we can't because we don't have the ability to come because we're dead in trespasses and sin. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? We are born, though, born again of incorruptible seed, given by the grace of the Spirit of God. That... Pure and incorruptible seed. Seed with no sin, no pollution. Seed that has never been corrupted by the world. It's void of any temptation by Satan. It's seed giving life with no guilt. How do we receive this incorruptible seed? It tells us. By the Word of God. Which liveth and abideth forever. That's why we're forever saved. By the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the word, is the only one who is able to give us an inheritance, making us heirs with him in all things that belong and pertain to God. Christ is the word of truth. And we asked with Thomas, how could we know the way to the Father? And the Lord said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Yes. And if we're saved by Christ, the incorruptible seed and the Word of God, will you, you will be forever saved. Why? Because He liveth and abideth forever. See, this is not a hard message, is it? Look up at verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Ordained to be what? Our substitute, our sacrifice, our Savior, our surety, but was manifest in these last times, Why? For you. For you that believe. Who are the you spoken of here? Verse 2 tells us. Peter wrote this letter to believers. And he says in verse 2, we're told to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter confirms this again in verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be where in God, not in yourself? So, what do we have to do with being saved? What do we have to do with being born again? Nothing. Not a thing. Not a thing. Verse 24, for all flesh is as a grass. And all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. What does the grass do? It withers, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. You see, friends, the preaching of the word of God is what reveals these things to us. That's why I wonder sometimes if folks in religion ever uh, read their Bible. You know, a lot of churches discourage it. Hmm. So-called churches. And anything that we do is a result of God giving us life in Christ. And what do we do when God gives us life? It's not what we've done. It's what we do. We've done nothing. Our flesh is grass that withers. Our our glory is like a flower that falls away. And I want you to remember that these letters didn't have division of chapters and verses Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. I'm being saved. It says, Wherefore, laying, present tense, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking. See, we're not saved because we have already laid (laughs) these things aside. We are presently and continually laying them aside. Aren't we? I haven't arrived. Have you? We're being saved as we continue to lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking. These things presently and constantly plague us. And they never cease plaguing us. Not in this body. They continue and we continually and presently lay them aside. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Amen. Verse 2, As newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. And this agrees with what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Look there with me. We'll come back. Hold your place here. We'll come back to 1 Peter 2. But look at Philippians chapter 3, and verse 12. Paul writing here, says in Philippians 3, verse 12, Not as though I have already attained, past tense. Either were already perfect, past tense. But I follow after, present tense. I'm following. I'm still following. I have to continue to follow. If that I may apprehend, not that I have, that I may, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm apprehending, present tense. But this one thing I do, forgetting, present tense. Not that I've already forgot, I'm forgetting. Those things which are behind me and pressing toward, press, present tense toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. So, let me pause to ask you again. Have you been saved or are you being saved? God foreknew and chose His people before the world was. God called them in the course of time. They were saved in the mind and heart of God, yet He's saving them and causing them to endure till the end So they're being saved. And in one sense of the word, I was saved, I am saved, and I'm being saved. But when I'm saved, it's forever. And even though we're being saved, we can never be lost. Why? Because having loved His own that were in the world, He loved them to the end. And if the Lord loves me to the end, and He will, and He does, His people then you can bet that you and I will endure till the end. And that's our hope. Now, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 2 again, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now it's through the sincere milk of of the Word of God, that we learn something about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look down at verse 4. Are we being saved? Well, it says, to whom coming. Not to who came, but to Christ. who We keep coming. To whom coming? We keep coming to Him. We just don't come to Him once. Isn't that right? We're constantly coming to Him. We keep coming, present tense. We come to Him today. We come to Him tomorrow. We come to Him every day. Coming to Christ means to believe in Him. Coming means believing. It's a continual exercise of faith. And here our Lord is compared to a stone. Christ is the stone, the rock upon which the church is built. He's the foundational stone, it says, upon which every believer is laid. Our house is built upon what? A solid rock. The winds and storms of life blow against it, but to no avail because we're built upon the rock, not sinking sand. Now, if it's dependent on me and the work that I do, that's sinking sand and that house is going to fall. But not the one built on the rock. Christ who is the rock. Did you notice that Christ is a living stone? He has eternal life within Himself. He was disallowed of men. The Jewish builders, the high priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the biggest part of the nation of Israel rejected Christ as the Messiah, as the stone of Israel. They did and they still do. He's not their foundational stone of life, but He's mine. They're still seeking life in the law and among their dead works. But their unbelief doesn't make the faith of God without effect. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. It doesn't change God. You could declare and jump up and down and say there's no God, there's no God, and no, there's no God. That don't change God being God. Men still rejecting. They will not have Christ to be their foundation stone, their solid rock, their sure foundation but I sure will. I sure enough will. He's my only hope. And verse 4 tells us plainly that He was chosen of God and what? Precious. Oh, isn't He precious? To the believer, He's precious. That's where our acceptance lies. Verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up. Present tense. We weren't already built. We're, We're built up. We're being built up. A spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer. We continually offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's how we're being saved. As lively stones, we continually build, we continually offer up spiritual sacrifices, and they're continually acceptable to God. And there's only one way by Jesus Christ. I was saved, I am saved, and I'm being saved. I recently read an article titled, Does the Bible Teach One Saved Always Saved? And this man's answer was no. No, the Bible does not teach the doctrine of one saved, always saved. And he went on to say that a person who has gained salvation by faith in Christ can lose that faith and that salvation that comes with it. The Bible says that maintaining faith requires a great effort, a hard fight. Early Christians who had already accepted Christ were told, keep working, keep working, keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now listen, to one sense, we do continue to work. But we don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. See, that's what I've been trying to say all along. If we stop, then we were never saved. Why do men quote this particular verse and leave out the very next statement, which is the hope of every single believer who's encouraged to do good work? Paul finished that statement with, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do His good pleasure. Present tense. Friends, we are being saved. We're being conformed to the... Christ image. We're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. I mean, a baby doesn't come out of the womb a full-grown man or woman. No, they grow. God is working in us both to will and do His good pleasure. Now, I want to show you something else uh, found in Hebrews chapter 6. Again, keep your marker there. We may come back to to it. But look at Hebrews chapter six and verse four. I know you've heard these verses. I I want you to look at them in light of what I'm endeavoring to say. Hebrews chapter six, verse four. It says, "For it is impossible." For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, that being Christ, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Now, what does that mean? Well, hear me on this. If it were possible for a person to be saved and lose their salvation, it's not. But if it was, that person could never be saved again. You know what it says? Those who believe that they can be saved and then lost and then saved again and then lost and then saved again, They don't want to use this passage to try to convince anyone. For if that was possible, according to this passage of Scripture, you could never be saved. It's impossible to be saved and then be lost. (laughs) Well, preacher, what about those who profess to believe and trust in Christ that depart from the faith? Some who have professed faith in christ for a very very long time those of you that have attended here for a while you can look around this morning you can see folks that attended here for 25 30 years that are no longer here i've seen it time and time again what about them well i just have to put it bluntly unless the lord brings them back they were never saved And never were saved. John said they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not of us. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. If they'd been true believers, they would have continued and continued. And continued. Oh, we get our feelings hurt sometimes? Yes. But we get over it and we continue. Because we're being saved. We're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And we still pray for those folks. We still hope they'll return and maybe some of them will. I sure hope so. But friends, you can't lose what you never had. Now I leave you with the words found in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. You don't have to turn there. You probably know this verse. I quote it often and I love it. I love this verse. It gives me such hope and comfort and assurance. For the Lord will not, will not forsake His people. Why? For His great name's sake. If God saves you, you're saved. And you're always saved. You can't be lost. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. What's the Lord pleased to do? Whatever he pleases to do. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. Psalm one thirty five, verse five who whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and the seas and in all deep places. The Lord is pleased not to forsake those whom He chose, elected, called, and saves. Not pleased to do it. If He's not pleased to do it, it won't happen. He's bound by His Word. He's bound by His covenant. He's bound by the oath that He's made with His people to His Son. The Lord is pleased to make some His people. Why? For His own name's great name's sake. And that's the only reason that I was saved. And that's the only reason that I am saved. And that's the only reason that I'm being saved. I was saved by God elected me from the foundation of the world. Before you ever were, Amy, the Lord set His affection on you. I was saved when Christ died on the cross of Calvary in my room instead and paid the debt of my sin. I am saved by trusting in Christ alone this very day as my substitute and sacrifice for sin. And I'm going to have to trust Him tomorrow and the day after and every day after that. I'm being saved. And I'm being saved by enduring... To the end, for those who do are the same, shall be saved, it says. They shall be. How do we endure to the end? I've already told you, having loved His own, those that He chose, those that He died for, those that He gave faith to trust in Him, because He loved them unto the end. Now this is not speaking of those that belong to Him by the right of creation. This is not speaking of those Uh, who belong to Him because uh, in a saving way, this is speaking of those who belong to Him by right of a new creation. John 6.37, you know it well. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise Cast out. Why won't they be cast out? Because those whom God saves are being saved, are saved, and once saved, they're always saved. And I'm going to tell you what, you go home with a smile on your face if you're trusting in Christ. You can have some confidence and assurance that one day, where He is, you shall be also he said I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day. How about you? <laughs> I'm a what a gospel, what a God. What a savior.